On the last day of February this year, I went to a book reading at a cafe with plenty of people there all eating and talking and bumping elbows together. It feels like eons ago now. A few friends and I went there to hear Jenny O'Dell. She's a, a local author and an artist and a Stanford professor. And she was there to share from her new book called How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy. The title, How to Do Nothing, is provocative and, and maybe somewhat misleading in, in the best possible way, the, the way that grabs our attention and and really makes us consider what has been set before us. As she read from her book and talked about bird watching and social media, about art installations and the state of modern education, I, I began to see more clearly the connections, and in particular, the rhythms and routines that form my life. What wins in the seemingly constant competition for our time? Where do we place our energy, our focus, our care? Maybe most importantly, the, the question that I heard that night was, how do we pay attention? I've been slowly making my way through her book these last couple of months, and this week it, it spoke to both our readings and to the life of the world for me. Now, I suspect that our readings today were chosen primarily because they each, uh, in some form or another, acknowledge the triune God on this Trinity Sunday. That is the through line, shaky as it is. And they are wonderfully familiar. The first story of creation, and then Jesus sending his disciples out to share the good news, to teach and lead and help bring this kingdom about in the world. They are the kind of stories that I think we can hear without them actually penetrating us because they have been told so many times. And so I read them again and then again, trying to really see them unfolding, to hear them for what they are. What grabbed me was how sweeping they both are, each in their own way. The, the poetry and the magnitude of all things coming into existence. The energy, the complexity, the sheer scale of this creation. Trying to imagine it all evolving, interconnected, called out to become our world. It is massive. And so too on the very human level of the gospel is the act of Jesus offering this great commission. 
He's making the disciples into something new, giving them an incredible charge that covers, well, it covers everything. Go everywhere to all people. Bring this love out until it totally encircles the earth. Can you imagine? He's saying this to 11 people. 11. They've barely got their feet under them after the whirlwind of his resurrection. And now this? It is an epic call that he makes to them. I wonder if you have felt the magnitude of our world and its needs pressing in on you, these last few weeks especially. The challenges of COVID-19 continue, but now with added questions of how we might begin to safely reopen our society. Many people are experiencing dire financial situations. So many are hungry here and everywhere. And now it seems that our nation has reached a boiling point as we struggle to confront racial injustice and discern the way forward. It's work that some folks have been doing for decades and others are beginning to reckon with and learn about for maybe the first time. And no matter where you may find yourself in all of these challenges, the path forward can seem awfully daunting. As I've sat with this collective energy and overwhelm coming from all directions, I returned to these age-old stories of ours. Stories we've used to root ourselves in what is good and to guide ourselves in living out that good. Here's what I saw. I saw that these two stories are indeed sweeping in what they recount and what they ask of us. The beginnings of all creation, bringing the good news to all the world. And, and it's, it's rooted in the promise and in the insistence of time and relationship. God, we hear very much in the plural, does all this wonderful, creative work, making us in their image, all of it interconnected. And then God, they, they rest. God sets that day apart as sacred for connection and restoration, for joy for its own sake, for being in relationship. The capstone of creation, it seems, is Sabbath. I hear this blueprint for how we approach our call as Christians, then echoing in that last line from Jesus, the last verse of the whole gospel. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's just sent these 11 out to the ends of the earth with this work, and yet his final words are 
an assurance of their enduring connection and the promise that there is time for this work. He will be with them now and then and always. It will not be finished overnight or this week or in their lifetimes. Still, he will be with them in it. These are the reminders that I'm choosing to return to this week as I consider what the days ahead may hold. They can be signposts as I try to imagine how I might continue responding to this gift of creation's goodness and of Jesus' call to carry it far and wide. I'm choosing to remember that Sabbath and the fundamental relationships born out of it must be central. They must be core to all we do. It's a gift, this practice, this divine insistence on taking time. And it embodies the the idea of this book that I mentioned earlier, How to Do Nothing. In it, Odell explores some of the ways that people have tried to totally opt out of society over the years. And she also examines the ways that the concept of Sabbath has been used to try to squeeze yet more productivity out of workers. Think, for example, of meditation rooms added to corporate offices. She points out the problem with both of these approaches. We are to seek a third place, a a third way, not total rejection of the world, nor a a co-opting of rest simply to be able to do more, produce more, get more done. Instead, it's about being fully alive together, noticing entirely where we are, being restored simply for the sake of being whole. More and more I'm getting the sense that it is precisely by taking some time for what may look like doing nothing that we are able to be really alive. I fully recognize the privilege inherent in suggesting taking this time. And still, I believe it's what God wants for all people, something to strive for collectively. Even for God's self, God insists on this break on the seventh day before diving back into creation. God celebrates the connections we forge in that time. That goodness is echoed in the assurance from Jesus that he will be here with us for all time and together. He's giving permission for us to pace ourselves, to retrain our attention on what needs it most. It's only through this pause, this return to restoration together, week after week, that we can tackle any of what has been set 
before us. This is how we come to really pay attention to each other, to God, and to this world that God is sending us into once again. So, yes, it is sweeping what we are being called to do. It is worthy work and necessary work and urgent work, and every bit of it is going to ask so much of us. And, God willing, we'll be at it for the whole of our lives. This practice of Sabbath is not about asking people to be patient, which can be itself a curse. It's about committing to live this life and this call fully and well. This is the gift and the promise. If we are going to do it, if we're going to do it faithfully, we must begin and return again and again to this time set apart together.